Hello and welcome back once again to Stories with a Nerd. We're going to be starting a new book today. Still the same series, uh, Wizards of Wants by Cressida Cowell, but this time it's Wizards of Wants Knock Three Times. Third book in our series. I really hope you enjoy. Note by Cressida Cowell, Lost Language Expert. A long time ago, a young girl exploring the back of a cave somewhere in the British Isles discovered these papers known as the wizard books, hidden behind a large stone. Nobody has ever been able to read them, for they were written so very far away in the distant past that they used a vocabulary and a script that has never been seen before. I have spent many happy years translating the papers of Hiccup the Viking from Old Norse into English, so I was excited to accept this even greater challenge, for these wizard books were written in such a dark age that the language they used has been completely lost to us over the years. After many years of study, I have finally cracked the code of this lost language, and in doing so, I have uncovered something truly extraordinary. Believe the unbelievable. Every fairy story you have ever read has its basis in some truth. It was not only the dragons living in the distant darkness. Dragons were only a very small part of it. This was a time of magic. Prologue Once there were wild woods. The wizards had lived in the Wildwoods for as long as anyone could remember, and they were intending to live there forever, along with all the other magic things. Until the warriors came. The warriors invaded from across the seas, and although they had no magic, they brought a new weapon that they called iron, and iron was the only thing that magic would not work on. From that moment on, wizards and warriors were fighting each other to the death in the Wildwoods, until one day... A young warrior queen called Sycorax fell in love with a young wizard king called Incanzo. Wizards and warriors should never fall in love, so Sycorax had taken the spell of love denied to make her love die. And the love had died indeed, and Sycorax had married a warrior, like she was supposed to. And Incanzo had married a wizard, just as a wizard should. So the danger of a curse ought to have been avoided. But, thirteen years ago, Sycorax had a daughter whose name was Wish. And Wish had a terrible secret. The lingering true love's kiss of the wizard in Kanzo had made Queen Sycorax's daughter magic. And for the first time in human history, Wish had a magic that works on iron. And 13 years ago, Kanzo had a son whose name was Zar. And Zar had a terrible secret. Zar stole some magic from a witch, and the stain of the witch magic was beginning to control him. This is the story of how Zar and Wish met, and how they made friends even though they had been brought up to hate each other like poison. Wish and Zar have run away from their parents, searching for the ingredients for a spell to get rid of witches. They are outcasts, hunted by wizards and warriors alike, and by something far, far worse. Witches. Witches must never get hold of magic that works on iron. But... Twice, Wish and Zar have escaped the talons of the witches. Twice, they have cheated death. Can they be third time lucky? I am a character in this story who sees everything, knows everything. I will not tell you who I am. Have you guessed yet?
Chapter One Betrayal. Three thousand years ago, at the end of an era that would later be known as the Bronze Age, the whole of the British Isles was covered in wildwoods. Good things lived in the wildwoods, animals and magic creatures and humans who minded their own business, but bad things lived there at the same time too, some very bad things. Two of these bad things were flying above the forest even now. The bad things were presently invisible, but if human eyes could have seen them, they would have noticed they had soft black wings like the wings of crows, and fingers that ended in talons like a bird of prey, and noses like a little beak. In fact, there were witches, not good witches, but very bad witches indeed, and they were flying high just below the clouds, and as they flew they were watching something down below. The something was a door, but instead of being where a door really ought to be, vertically opening and shutting between rooms that are safely on the ground in an orderly kind of way, this particular door was flying through the air, flat on its front like a carpet just above the treetops. It was the little moving speck of a flying door that had first attracted the witch's attention as they flew, with lazy wing beats in the strong currents of the air above the trees on the way back to their nests in the lacrimose mountains. But it wasn't the door itself that was now holding their scrutiny. There were three children lying on their stomachs on top of the flying door, and the invisible witches looked down at the children, and the children looked down over the edge of the flying door looking for something in the forest. The witches were hungry, so hungry that their long dribbles of black saliva were dripping from their lips. They hadn't seen anything so delicious as these children in weeks, no, perhaps years, and that will give you an idea why people didn't really like witches, either in the Bronze Age or any other age that witches happened to turn up in. But something was making those witches pause before swooping on the tasty, unaware little morsels below and fastening their claws into them. Thor, sitting god, ure, whined Breakneck, wriggling her nose from side to side. You is the don grotty. Oid oid to glop apart. Witches speak the same language as we do, but each individual word is back to front. This means, what is it doing out here? Why is nobody protecting it? Do you think it could be a trap? Rib Grizzle was pausing too, although the smell of the blood of the human children, which to a witch is as delicious as that of a cake baking in the oven, was wafting up at him and making him drool like a dog. He was desperate to snatch the treats from under Breakneck's waggling nose and fly back to his nest to feed on the tender darlings all by himself. But he was too cautious. Before the return of the witches to the wildwoods, the air that would have been full of flying things, birds and sprites and cockatrices, dragons, piskies, all manner of glorious magical creatures... But now, this early in the morning, which was too close to the night hours of the witching time, the forest was as quiet as death, and the warrior humans kept their babies locked up safe in their castles, and the wizard humans kept their babies safe in their treehouse forts. So what were these human babies doing then? Flying, cool as you like, on the back of a magical flying door, miles and miles away from any human habitation. Perhaps Breakneck was right. Maybe it was a trap. The children were talking to one another, and one of them was singing rather shakily with false bravery. No fear, that's the warrior's marching song. No fear, we sing it as we march along. Rip Grizzle's gigantic ears curled up at the edges, swivelling and tilting towards the child in order to catch the sound. The eye in the middle of his forehead opened sleepily. The two witches flew, unseen, lower, lower, to listen to the children's conversation. The first young person was a wizard boy called Zar. His name was spelled X-A-R. I don't know why. The spelling is weird. The witches did not know it, but Zar was the son of Incanzo, king of wizards, and Zar had a very dangerous secret, which was that he had stolen some magic from a witch and was having trouble controlling it. 
The witch magic was hidden below a glove in a cut on the, his right hand, but the witches could smell it nonetheless, and the smell confused them. The second was a warrior princess called Wish, daughter of Sycorax, queen of the warriors, and Wish too had a very dangerous secret, which was that beneath her eye patch she had a magic eye, and warriors were not supposed to have any magic at all. The third was a boy warrior called Bodkin. Bodkin was Wish's assistant bodyguard, and he was finding this position really rather testing because he didn't like fighting very much, and he had an unfortunate tendency to fall asleep in situations of physical danger, and was trying to control the uncontrollable little princess, was an impossible task because she seemed to have absolutely no idea what rules were at all. Bodkin was the one singing that song, rather unconvincingly. The three children were looking more than ragged and sad than they had been two weeks earlier when they had run away from Wish and Zar's parents. They had started out joyously in the way that these journeys often begin. Running away had seemed like it would be an exciting adventure, but now they were hungry and tired and frightened, for they knew that they were being hunted by the warriors and the wizards and the witches, and that they must never be caught. If the warriors caught them, Sycorax would lock up Wish in Iron Warrior Fort where the witches could not get hold of her. If the wizards caught them, Inkanzo would lock up Zara in the prison of Gormenkrag, where his witch stain could be treated. And if the witches caught them, well, that was such a scary idea, our heroes were trying hardest not to think about it. So for the past two days, they had been looking for the house of the sister of Caliburn, Zara's talking raven, where they hoped to be able to hide. I know, my sister lives somewhere around here, said Caliburn for the umpteenth time. She moved here a while ago, while I was still a human. Caliburn was actually a wizard who had lived many lifetimes, and the previous one he had indeed been a human. He hadn't been any old human either. He had been the great wizard Pentaglion. Unfortunately, Caliburn had come down in the world and returned to the Wildwoods in his present lifetime in the form of a bird. A rather untidy bird, for Caliburn was usually losing his feathers in his anxiety at the impossible task of trying to keep Zara out of trouble. I know that my sister has one of the ingredients we need for the spell to get rid of witches, the tears of the druid, and maybe we can persuade her to give it to us, said Caliburn. And she'll give us a bed for the night and a good meal, and she'll protect us for a while. None of them were feeling very strong at all, and the idea of a bed for the night and a good meal was even more attractive than the idea that Caliburn's sister might give them one of the ingredients they needed for their quest. In fact, it brought tears to Bodkin's eyes. What does your sister's house look like, Caliburn? asked Bodkin. Caliburn looked a little shifty. Oh, you know, just like any old other human habitation. I haven't been there in years. I'll know it when I see it. Your sister must have a very big house, said Wish doubtfully. Look how many of us there are. Are you quite sure she'll want to have us all to stay? Caliburn gave an airy wave of his wing. Oh, my sister has loads of room. Of course she'll have us all to stay. Even though we're a bit, well, odd, said Wish, wistfully. I can't believe that your sister won't mind about us being wizards and warriors working together, Caliburn. Everyone hates that. And there are some people even might say that we're sort of cursed. Wish was a little odd looking. A funny little scrawny girl with hair so quivering with magic that it vibrated and lifted with static electricity every time she moved. She had a pale face that looked as if the tide had washed over it and taken away all the sharp bits and was a kind but determined expression. That determination of hers was being severely tested. Her armour was dented, she hadn't eaten in three days, and her face and hands and legs were ter deeply scratched from a terrible battle they had a week ago, where they were ambushed by wyverns. 
a type of dragon very common in the Bronze Age, and with all her heart, Wish wanted to believe that Caliburn had a sister who would welcome them, even though they were outlaws, disobeying the laws of the Wildwood universe, but deep down she had a hollow feeling that this was very, very unlikely. Let's face it, Caliburn said Wish, trying to be practical and not mind too much. We don't really fit in anywhere. No one is going to want us. My sister isn't as prejudiced as everyone else, said Caliburn. There are kind people in the world. You just have to find them. You're quite sure your sister hasn't died and come back as a raven too, and the reason we can't find her house is that now she's living in some sort of nest, said Botkin suspiciously. No, no, said Caliburn, and less, less than certainty. Probably not. Bodkin didn't quite know how to say this without hurting Caliburn's feelings, but if they had been searching for Caliburn's sister's house for quite a while now, without finding any sign of it. Are you sure that you've got this right, Caliburn, said Bodkin? You've only just remembered that you have a sister. Living many lifetimes is difficult, said Caliburn, rather flustered. It takes a while to remember what happened in the previous ones, but now my memory has been jogged. I know I have a sister, and she's down in that forest somewhere. Well, I think we should give up looking for your sister and march straight into that druid stronghold on the Lake of the Lost and just take their tears from them, said Tsar, who was not a patient person. You don't understand, said Caliburn. The druids are unrelenting, unforgiving and the greatest wizards in the Wildwoods and they really don't like having their tears taken. They'll kill us if they catch us. Much easier for my sister just to give them to us. And then Wish spotted something that wasn't the welcoming fires of Caliburn's sister's house, but something much more sinister. Some people are following us down there in the forest, whispered Wish, putting up her eye patch a smidgen because she she could see better through her magic eye. Sure enough, down in the tangle of greenwoods below them in the distance, there were, there were little flickering lights of many, many torches coming through the trees in their direction. Do you think it could be your sister, Caliburn? Zar whispered hopefully, his tummy giving the most gigantic rumble. Only Zar could mistake the ominous torches of what was clearly a hunting party for a welcoming greeting from Caliburn's sister. But then, Zar was an optimistic sort of person who hoped for the best at all times. He had a deep cut over his right temple from where a wyvern had earlier tried to take his eye out, and an old bit of shirt wrapped round his leg covering a wound from a boggart bite that was going septic, but he wasn't going to let little things like these get him down. Zar was a happy-go-lucky sort of boy with a wide-awake look in his eyes that suggested he was determined to enjoy life, despite unimportant details like infected pocket bites and wyvern injuries. And Zar was also a boy of considerable charm and charisma. He had a lot of companions and a flying flying with a door, with six of his sprites and three hairy fairies. These tiny little insecty creatures, so paper-thin you could see their hearts, were buzzing around in a state of such alarm that blue electric sparks were coming out of their ears. Beware, they hissed. Beware, beware, beware. No, it's definitely not my sister, said Caliban, shading a wing over one of his eyes and squinting so he could see better. They're banging war drums. My sister wouldn't bang war drums unless she's changed a very good deal in the last 20 years. Don't worry, Sprite, said Zar soothingly, though all those are led his companions into difficulty. He did take his responsibilities as the leader of his band very seriously. I'll look after you. Of course you will, master, squeaked Squeeze Shoes, one of the smallest and most enthusiastic of the hairy fairies. You is the most brilliantastic leader in the whole world ever, and you would never lead us into any trouble. But I don't understand it, said Wish, bewildered. Nobody knows which way we went, and the sprites have dimmed their lights and we're flying so close to the tops of the trees that nobody can see us from below, so how can they be picking us up? Maybe they picked up the scent of Crusher. And the snowcats, Bodkin suggested.
Zar had other companions too, and they were down on the ground. A giant called Crusher, three beautiful snowcats, some wolves, a bear and a werewolf called Lonesome were following on foot, way below the forest floor. Impossible, Zar whispered back. I'm unbeatable at running away, and so are my companions. We're completely untrackable. As well as being just a trifle cons conceited, Zar was indeed very good at running away. He was the most disobedient boy in the Wizard Kingdom, always getting into trouble for doing things like getting his sprites to charm his older brother Luta's spelling stuff so that every time Luta tried to use them, they spanked him on the bottom, painting spots on the magic mirror in the main hall so everyone who looked in it thought they were coming down with something infectious, pouring an animation potion on the trousers of Ranta, his least favourite teacher, so whenever Ranta tried to put them on, his trousers skipped out of reach. As a result, Zara spent his entire short life running away from the wrath of his father, his teachers and the other wizards, so he'd become something of a running away expert. Maybe someone's betrayed us, hissed Tiffinstorm, one of Zar's larger sprites, eyes narrowing jealously. Probably that werewolf. Never trust a werewolf who you met in prison. That's good advice, kids. Don't you dare accuse the werewolf just because he's a werewolf, said Zar, fierily. Wish agreed with Zar. Nobody's betrayed us, said Wish soothingly. We're on the same side now, Tiffinstorm. We're all outlaws together, remember? But who is chasing us down there in the forest, worried Wish? Caliburn began to list their enemies. Well, it could be the Drudes, or Zar's father, or Wish's mother. And what about the Witch Smeller? He hates you. Or the Warrior Emperor? He'll want to get rid of magic that works on iron at all costs. Squeeze used barred his little teeth and squeaked. I shall get some for you, Master. I shall bite great chunks out of their iron bottoms. I shall make their noses drip for a week and tie knots in their sandwiches. I'll make holes in their socks so they keep putting their big toes through it in a really annoying way. I'll put itching powder in these knickers and I'll just leave you little fluff balls in these tummy buttons and they will never know where the fluff is coming from. A squeeze shoes was not a great deal bigger than the Dormouse, and the threat of fluff in the tummy button was not exactly life-threatening. None of this was likely to be terribly worrying to a druid or a heavily armed iron warrior. But Zar thanked him solemnly as he said, Yes, of course you can squeeze juice, just as soon as I give the order. The one enemy that Caliburn did not mention was witches, which, given that there were two very large witches hovering right above their heads at that very moment, was a tiny bit ironic. There were even rather a large clue that the witches were closer than they might realise. Around Zar's waist, attached to his belt, hung two witch feathers. And when witches were close, these witch feathers burned green with a strange unnatural light. They were burning green now, my goodness they were. Greener than emerald, greener than starlight. But Zar and Wish and Bodkin had not noticed so intent they were on staring down at what was going on in the forest below them. The only person that had noticed the glowing of the witch feathers was the baby. The baby was the smallest hairy fairy of them all, and he was going wild with agitation. But the baby was still in his egg, and he can only say one word, Goo! And nobody listens to babies, even when they have something very important to say. So although the baby rolled around urgently in his egg, bumping into people and shouting, Goo! 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 at the top of his baby voice, none of the other sprites would listen, and Zar just batted him away, saying, Not now, baby. We can't play now. The witches, sharpening their talons and hovering not more than ten feet above the door, grinned at each other. Nasty grins, for witches have nasty senses of humour. How amusing! These children were so busy worrying about the danger from below, they were completely ignoring the much more serious danger threatening them from above. And they were running away from their parents. That would explain why they were out at night, so far away from their tribes and their kinsmen. It wasn't a trap at all.
the witches prepared to swoop. But then the witches stiffened as something poked out the back of Wish's waistcoat, swivelling as if sniffing the air, and then hopping up on top of Wish's head to peer over the edge of the door with the others. The something was a spoon, and it happened to be alive. The enchanted spoon was followed by a key and a fork and a number of little enchanted pins. None of this was odd to the witches. Enchanted objects were perfectly normal back in those days. But these enchanted objects weren't normal at all. They were very odd indeed. These enchanted objects were made of iron. The witch's eyes blazed red and visible for one horrified moment. It's her, hissed the witches. It's her. And the witches growled like dogs. The girl with the magic who has magic that works on iron. In unusual coincidence, Wish, peering downwards, also whispered under her breath at the very same time as the witches. It's her! It's her! It's her! That's my mother, cried Wish. That's who's following us. Okay, nobody panic. Stay calm. Key, could you hop into the keyhole for me? Then Wish wanted to fly the door as quickly as possible. She needed the key to be in the keyhole so that she could steer the door at speed. Of course, boasted the key in a creaky little voice. You see, Spoon, the fork is a mere food carrier, a pathetic little potato piercer, but I have a very important role. The key and the fork were both in love with the enchanted spoon so that the key never lost an opportunity to show off. The fork waggled its prongs furiously at the key, and the key stuck out its little iron chest and hopped self-importantly into the keyhole. We'll just sneak very quietly away, said Wish. Softly, everyone, make as little noise as you can. But before Wish could move, the key and send the door skimming silently away across the treetops, she had noticed something very odd was up with Squeeze Juice. He had been getting thoroughly overexcited, doing somersaults in the air, squeaking dire threats about making holes in people's socks and protecting Tsar, and accidentally biting his own tail. And at the sighting of Wish's mother, he seemed to completely lose it. His little bumbly body shot fizzily with sparks. His, eyes, his spotty eyes lit up with a luminous bright green and he shrieked at the top of his voice, Squeeze juice to the rescue! Charge! And the little sprite threw himself in a mad zooming dive downwards in a lunatic one hairy fairy attack on Queen Sycorax's entire advancing army. What is he doing, gasped Zar. And just as the little goggle-eyed children on the back of the door were taking in this first incomprehensible disaster, a second one sprang up, bright fears flaming in front of their eyes. My mother, cried Wish. She's setting the forest alight. Chapter Two. The trees are screaming. Meanwhile, down on the ground, Crusher the Giant and Tsar Snowcats, King Cat Nighteye and Forest Heart, his werewolf, Lonesome, his bear, his wolves, were m making their way swiftly and quietly through the wildwoods. Wolves and giants are quite common, but I wish you could have seen the snowcats. Beautiful creatures they were, larger than lions, fur as deep as powder snow, padding through the ancient forest, whiskers twitching. Like the children on the flying door, they were looking skinnier and hungrier and a lot more bedraggled than they had been two weeks earlier. The snowcats had deep wounds from the talons of wyverns on their faces, the bear had torn his ear, and Lonesome was limping. None would have known that they had passed that way, for Zar said they were untrackable, untraceable. 
Even giants could know how to tread lightly on the world, so although Crusher was nearly as tall as the tallest of trees around him, he did not make a footprint on the undergrowth below as he walked through the hollowways, planting his great walking staff gently in the ground, humming happily to himself. Crusher was a long-stepper high-walker giant, and these giants are big, so they tend to have big thoughts. Wandering gets their giant brains working, so as Crusher walked, his head was smoking with inspiration, and he was thinking in time to each gentle step. I wonder if you could say that trees have brains. They certainly learn. And just because they learn in their roots, is that enough to say that they do not have brains like humans and giants do? And then he stopped suddenly. He put his ear to the nearest tree. His face with wandering lines like an ancient map normally gently interested in the world about him, assumed a very concerned and grim expression indeed. Slowly, he bent down to his animal companions. Now, I do not want you to panic, creatures of the forest, said Crusher, but the trees are screaming. There are people who think that just because trees do not have mouths, they cannot talk. Those people are wrong, and they're often the kind of people who think that other people have to be exactly like themselves to count as people at all. Trees speak to each other just as you and I do, but they tend to have the right ears for listening. They, they send out messages on sound waves that giant ears can hear, scent chemicals that giant noses can smell, and just because our tiny little human ears and noses are too small to hear or smell or detect them, this does not mean that those messages are not there. As Crusher said, the trees were screaming. And the message they were screaming with the crackling of their roots and the very electrical and chemical signal they could muster was, Fire! 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 It was very generous of the trees to scream that message, really, for it was not a message that their fellow trees could respond to. Trees live life in the slow lane, so although they can move their leaves in the direction of the sunlight, they can grow their roots in the direction of water, and this all happens very slowly. And what they cannot do in the face of immediate, instant, quick destruction is that fire is wrench up their mud-clogged roots from the ground and their ear growing in and run as fast as they can for their lives. But the animals can. And maybe the trees are more intelligent than we are and we know that their species' lives are in eventually dependent on the other species around them. So the snowcat's ears pricked up and the werewolf's nose was set to sniff, sniff, sniffing and they caught the smell, the sound of the messages the trees were screaming. Before even the first whiff of burning wood, the first howl of a distant, terrified fox. And they panicked. Snorting and howling with wild fear, the animals and the magic creatures ran as fast as they could, uncaring of the brambles that ripped, the branches that spiked joining a deluge of other fleeing animals, hedgehogs, wolves, bears, deer, insects... Hobbs, goblins, all careering madly through the forest to get away from their age-old enemy fire. The sprites and the birds and all things with wings were the lucky ones. Crusher had to follow more slowly for giants like trees do not move quickly. And tears were trickling down his wrinkled face as he moved through the forest, touching each precious ancient tree in sympathy as he walked. The fire caught from tree to tree, faster than fairies, faster than witches. Trees that had been growing for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years, burned bright and were destroyed in an instant. The roar of the flames as the wind carried the bright, destructive inferno faster, swifter, higher, bigger, brighter, bolder, quick as the thought of more terrible than could be imagined. Up above, the children on the door responded instantly. Wish grabbed the enchanted key and pointed down. 
We have to save Squeeze Juice and Crusher and the animal, shouted Zar, and with a great screech, the door shot downwards towards the burning forest, and the sprites bravely following behind it in a wild screeching trail of the humming sprite dust, even though every sprite insect was telling them to fly away. It was unbelievably fortunate that the door and the sprites and the raven chose that blink of a second to plunge downwards, for at precisely the moment they swooped, the witches attacked. Screech! There was a tearing noise as if the air itself was being ripped apart. Just in case you have never been dive-bombed by a witch, I will explain what happens. When witches are invisible, they can do no harm. Their hands just pass right through you like the hands of ghosts. So as Breakneck and Rip Grizzle screeched downwards, they were turning themselves visible as they plunged. First, two screaming heads appeared, liquefying at the edges into spitting sparks and foul vapour, and then the two witches blasted down on Wish and Zar and Bodkin on their enchanted door like a couple of infinitely evil peregrine falcons. When witches attack, they assault all your senses at the same time. Their stink is unbearable, the most nauseating bad egg and rotten corpse smell you can possibly imagine, and they release it in a cloud of venom. Their scream is like the death of agony of five hundred foxes, and it buries itself in your brain and reverberates around your head until you feel like you might go crazy. Rip Grizzle had two fish eyes buried so deep on either side of his axe-sharp nose that you could not see into the pitless depths of them. Not that you would want to. The mouth dripping, that revolting black saliva from the fangs. A body, like a human mixed with a panther. Talons long as swords and black feathery wings. Breakneck was no prettier. The witches swooped, but they were a blink or two too late, for the children on their door had that very second gone into a dive downwards to help their friends, so the witches' talons closed on only empty air, and they let out screeches of infuriated disappointment. The sprites and the children and the caliber and the raven finally looked over their shoulders and realised that they were being attacked. Pandemonium ensued as the rescuing squeeze juice and crusher and the animals' mission turned abruptly into a desperate f- flight from the attacking witches' mission. Aye! screamed the witches goose cried the baby which in baby language means i've been trying to tell you this for ages but nobody listens to babies oh no fly yelled czar shooting arrows at the witches as wish desperately hauled the key back and forth in wild swiveling motions so that the door slammed this way and that in crazy swirls to evade the mind-boggling horror of the pursuing witches while still following the tiny spark of the charging squeeze juice who was continuing to shriek sue seeks to the rescue charge at the top of his voice don't worry, princess, said Bodkin, trying to draw Wish's enchanted sword. The enchanted sword was a special witch-killing sword. But unable to get it out of the scabbard, so he had to pull his bow and arrows instead. I'll save you. But Bodkin had a bit of a disadvantage as a bodyguard. He had a medical condition that caused him to fall asleep in situations of extreme danger. He had barely said these last brave words before he collapsed, snoring loudly, and began to slide downwards on the door. Snore. Snore. Bodkin, wake up, yelled Wish, and Zar had to give up shooting arrows at the witches, while he and Wish took hold of Bodkin by both arms to prevent him from slipping off the door entirely. Bodkin woke up with a start, mumbling, who, what, where? Forest in the Druid territory, panted the little princess, being chased by the witches, squeezed juice attacking my mother's forces entirely on his own. Oh yes, cried Bodkin, scrambling back onto the enchanted door. We can do this. My iron arrows will work much better on witches than Zar's bone ones. Bodkin put away the enchanted sword, and instead he fitted an arrow into his bow, took careful aim, and then fell asleep again, shooting himself in the foot and falling heavily on Wish. 
This jogged her hand, and the key that was controlling the steering shot out of the keyhole so violently that the door went into a abrupt reverse, travelling backwards with such speed that it nearly shot into the open jaws of the pursuing witches. What with one thing and another, the young outlaws weren't really working together in the most brilliant fashion. The key had got entangled in Wish's hair, so the fork came to the rescue, leaping into the keyhole, using its prongs as a key substitute. Wish took hold of the fork and got control of the door again, narrowly avoiding the swiping talons of the witches. The upside-down fork looked up smugly at the furious key, and that look meant, Look at me, Spoon, look at me. Us forks can be important too. Forks are mere food carriers. They're not qualified to operate keyholes, squeaked the key. Come out of there right now or this flight will end in disaster. Squeeze juice, come back, roared Zar. Reow! The flying door swooped and swelled and dodged through the treetops, shaving off the leaves and nearly unseating its riders. It were hanging on for dear life. Bodkin reawoke and this time didn't even attempt to shoot anything, shaking the arrow out of his foot and concentrating on not falling off the door. Wish was trying not to lose sight of Squeeze Juice, who was flying at full speed over the burning trees towards the approaching torches and flares of the warriors. Goodness knows how the little hairy fairy thought he was going to attack an entire warrior army all on his own, but that appeared to be his plan. Down below on the forest floor, Queen Sycorax and her iron warriors were at full gallop as they raced through the trees on horseback. Queen Sycorax didn't look a bit like Wish. It was most out of character for Queen Sycorax to have a daughter so unlike herself that even great queens cannot entirely control what their offspring are going to look like. Queen Sycorax was dressed for war, with an iron breastplate, an iron helmet and so many weapons that she looked like a statue to some alien god of war. She was also loaded with jewels, furs and clothes of the finest materials from the early Iron Age could supply, but Queen Sycorax felt that if she was going to be forced to travel into the wildness of the godforsaken forest in pursuit of a disobedient daughter, she should jolly well do it in style for Mistletoe's sake. She was in a bit of a mood. Witches! breathed Queen Sycorax, looking upwards from the back of a galloping horse. I knew it. I knew they'd be after her. Shoot down the witches! Zing, zing, zing. Arrow shot upwards from the forest floor, narrowly missing both doors and the witches. Your mother's shooting at us, said Bodkin in amazement. If we haven't got enough problems. She's not shooting at us, she's shooting at the witches, said Wish, grim with determination as she flew that door. Really, rather well, actually, considering that she was having to use a fork in the keyhole instead of a key. And if anybody had had the time or been in the mood to appreciate her growing door flying skills at astonishing speed just above the smoke and the chaos of the burning forest. Arrows rained upwards, narrowly missing their targets. Oh, for goodness sake, snapped Queen Sycorax to her warriors. Can't you even hit a couple of great gawping witches at close distance? She sighed. I don't know. If you want something doing, you have to do it yourself. Queen Sycorax pulled her horse, got out her bow and arrow, and took careful aim. Reow! Wish made another desperate turn of the door through the billowing smoke, but this time it was just a smidgen too late, and one of Rip Grizzle's talons got hold of the door and sent it in revolving in circles, shooting into the talons of Breakneck. Breakneck got a good hold of the spinning door, kept it steady, and Rip Grizzle gave an evil grin as he prepared to swoop. They couldn't get away now. But one final zing from below and Rip Grizzle's grin of gloating triumph turned to an expression of acute surprise. And then Rip Grizzle fell from the air, dead as a stone, with one of Queen Sycorax's arrows in his heart. Boom! He landed on the forest floor, warriors scattering in all directions from the ensuing witch crater and a whole load of billowing green smoke. With a whine of horror and fright, Breakneck let go of the enchanted door and fled for her life in a whir of black feathers. Sycorax's arrow also stopped the charging squeeze juice. 
On the arrow's path to Rip Grizzle, it had skimmed so close to Squeeze Juice that it removed the tip of one of Squeeze Juice's antenna, giving the little hairy fairy such a shock that he stopped mid-charge. He blinked twice as the green faded from his little spotty eyes as if he was just waking up from a sleep, like Bodkin, and... Where am I? squeaked Squeeze Juice, giving a violent start as he took in Sycorax's warrior army gathered in horrifying masses below him. Save me! He panicked and turned around, flying as fast as his little humming wings could carry him back to what he thought was the safety of Wish and Zara and Bodkin on the back of the door and hiding himself in Wish's hair behind the spoon in the key. Good shot, Sycorax, said Bodkin in relief, looking down at the side of the door and trying to see Wish's mother through the smoke of the witch's landing way below. Yes, you were right. She was shooting at the witches. Thank goodness she's such a good shot. Zar hated Queen Sigurax, but even he was impressed. Maybe she's not as bad as I thought. Hang on a second. What is she doing? Sigurax had got back on her horse. Now shoot down the door, she ordered her deputy. I'm presuming you can at least hit something as large as that. But, but your majesty, spluttered the deputy, your own daughter is on the back of that door. My own daughter, spat Queen Sycorax, grinding her pretty little teeth, has more than one life. Long story. And she, if she didn't want her door shot down, she shouldn't have got born with this magic that works on iron in the abnormal and eccentric fashion. Shoot down the door. Arrows rained upwards once more. Put the door in reverse, yelled Zahar. I take it back, she is as bad as I thought. But what on earth is Queen Sycorax doing? Why is she shooting at us, said Bodkin, thoroughly bewildered. "'Has she gone totally mad?' "'Well, she's never been exactly a huggy sort of mother,' said Wish, "'but I'm sure there's some sort of perfectly reasonable explanation.' "'And they were about to get that explanation.' "'Bam! A direct hit on the enchanted door by a carefully aimed spear "'pierced the magic that was delicately holding the jigsaw pieces of the door together. "'Keep it together, Wish!' shouted Caliban. "'Think of the door as a complete door!' But Wish was not yet sufficiently in control of her magical powers when taken by surprise like this. The door shattered into a thousand pieces and the three children plummeted towards the ground. Chapter 3 Queen Sycorax is not a huggy sort of mother. They were extremely fortunate that their door was shot down right above Crusher and the running animals. Look out above, cried Crusher, coming to a crashing halt as bits of door rained down. The animals, mad with terror though they were at the following fire, came to a trembling halt, for they loved their humans, and they ran back to see if they could help. Zar and Bodkin fell into the branches of a tree, and Wish was saved by all six sprites catching bits of her clothes and breaking her fall before she finally fell into the cut palms of Crusher. Little Squeeze Juice came to an untimely end, nearly. He fell out of Wish's hair and he was too late to duck a flying fragment of shattered door that had hit him momentarily unconscious and he would have fallen down into the blazing undergrowth if Zar had not risked his life by reaching out way too far from the tree and saving him. Crusher then gently extracted Zar and Bodkin from the tree and put them and Wish on the ground, telling them to climb aboard the snowcats who would carry them quicker than the giant could run. Run swift, said the giant. Bodkin and Wish and Zar leapt aboard the snowcats. Fly, cried Zar with great terrified bounds, their soft fur blackened and raised in petrified quills. King Cat, Night Eye, Forest Heart and the wolves and the bear leapt through the dark rusty rain that was now falling. Bits of soft grey ash and roar. The hot roar of the fire pursued them, mixed with the noise of the warrior hunt, the scream of the dogs, the screech of the warrior horns, and the iron sound of beating hooves as they pounded through the burning forest. 
That was the sound of the new Iron Age, that warrior hunt. The forest was being burnt down so that the warriors could build their forts and their fields and their new modern world. For the warriors argued that their modern way was the right way, surely. Time cannot run backwards, could it? That would be nonsense, and warriors do not believe in nonsense. The forest had come down so the warriors could move humanity forward in a civilised and forward-looking manner. The giants had to leave because they took up way too much room. The sprites had to die because their habitats were needed to make all the things that warriors need. It was regrettable, but there it was. It was all in the name of progress. So all over the wild woods, these hunts were being carried out with the mad barking of dogs and the shrill crying of horns and warriors on horseback hunting down the giants or the shining elves or the long-haired ogres or the lumpen boggarts. This time it was slightly different, of course, for Queen Sycorax was hunting down her own daughter. There she was, right at the front of the stampede warrior force, for Queen Sycorax always had to be the fastest ramrod straight on the back of her hunting horse, crying out orders entirely oblivious to the roar of the fire behind her. They caught up with Crusher first. Even with his giant strides, he moved closer than the snowcats, because he kept stopping to reassure the trees. Calm in the chaos, he laid his giant hands on oak, on elm, on ash, on alder, on blackthorn, on beech, on hawthorn, hazel, holly, on lime and maple, on yew and poplar and willow, all the deer soon to be torchlight trees, saying, Do not be afraid, dear trees. The forest will grow again, I promise. I will cherish your descendants. This too will pass. Bam! The warrior hunt was upon him. Queen Sycorax launched her spear first. Crusher looked down with a bemused expression, picking it out of his leg as if it were an irritating thorn or needle. The warriors surrounded the giant, confusing him with the clamour of their horns, for giants have very sensitive hearing, and the loudness and the pitch befuddled his ears so much that he lost his balance and fell to the ground, as suddenly as a great oak struck by lightning. The warriors scattered in all directions as he dropped, and then regathered again around the fallen giant, winding struts of his hair and the edges of his clothes around their weapons and then driving those weapons into the ground so that when he opened his eyes blinking he was stuck to the earth by a pincushion of spears axes and arrows one of the warriors then rode her horse right up to the chest of the giant rearing it up into the air and punching her spear up in a victory salute shouting got him your majesty very good cried sycorax Stern and true justice, vengeance, tenacity, unrelenting, drama, unforgiving. These were the names of Wish's six elder stepsisters, tall, good-looking, blonde young women with bulging biceps and golden torques around their necks, heavily armed with spears and axes and every kind of helpful weapon. Hunt down your sister and the other two, ordered Queen Sycorax, adding, be careful not to hurt her, mind. Wish's stepsisters nodded, and with great whooping cries they kicked their heels onto the leopard-spotted flanks of their hunting horses and galloped off after the retreating snowcats. The stepsisters were excellent warriors, strong of arm, fast of throw, with any softness of heart well drilled out of them, so they very quickly ran down the snowcats. They brought down the sprites with sprite nets so exquisitely that it brought tears to the eyes of their teacher, Madame Dreadlock, who was galloping on a sturdy horse behind them, crying with pride at the brilliance which her pupils knocked Wish and Bodkin and Zara off their snowcats in single blows around the midriff, and then entwined them in iron nets. "'Call off your beastly animals,' snarled Stern and True Justice, "'or I will kill your disgusting sprites!' "'She means it,' said Wish, who knew her eldest stepsister well. Justice was perfectly capable of killing a sprite in cold blood." Wish herself had automatically curled up in a defensive little ball like a hedgehog. 
Wishes enchanted pins, spoon, fork and key were very were all attacking the stepsisters, the pins pushing themselves into any soft fleshy bits they could find. But Wish called them off, shouting, Enchanted things, snow cats, wolves, bear, keep your distance. Reluctantly, the iron enchanted objects backed away, but not before Justice grabbed the enchanted spoon and all of Zar's animals dropped to the ground, growling. Zar started to curse the sisters, but Justice stopped him with a gentle tap of her mace, and that knocked him out. And then the pleasant young warrior women dragged the three children in the nets behind them back to where Queen Sycorax was waiting with her warriors beside the fallen giant. The victorious stepsisters gave poor little Wish some good healthy wax with their mace and spear sticks along the way, just to punish her for getting them all out on this horrible journey into the middle of nowhere. Queen Sycorax's warriors were getting a little restive, looking over their shoulders somewhat anxiously at the howl of the fiery furnace getting louder and louder, hoping that the mother and daughter chat wasn't going to go on for too long for Mistletoe's sake. But Queen Sycorax herself was sitting bolt upright on her horse, apparently unaware of the advancing danger. Her stepdaughters dragged the three nets in front of her. Here she is, the weird little rat, said Stern and True Justice, looking even more odd and weak than ever. She really is a dreadful, dirty little beast. Do you want us to kick her for you some more, mother? Not just now, Justice, said Queen Sycorax, getting off her horse and opening up the net containing Wish and the end of her sceptre. Wish uncurled herself and stood up. Queen Sycorax took off her helmet and her face underneath the helmet was rather colder and sterner than the helmet itself. As I said before, Queen Sycorax was in a bit of a mood. You broke your promise, said Queen Sycorax grimly with that awful edge of disappointment in a cold and pear drop of her voice. You said that you would return with me to Iron Warrior Fort and instead you ran away. I told you, Mother, Tsar and Bodkin... And I are searching for the ingredients for a spell to get rid of witches, said Wish, very white. And what are you doing setting fire to the forest? I think you should calm down and stop overreacting. Calm down, raged Queen Sycorax. Overreacting? Look, Wish, said Sycorax. She got hold of Wish's shoulder, turned her around and pointed her finger at a huge mushrooming cloud that was rising above the trees where the dead witch had landed. The cloud was at least a hundred feet wide with a nasty sulphurous green and pulsating with a poison that made the spell of love denied look like lemonade. That crater with the dead witch in it will be poisonous in another twenty years, said Sycorax. These are witches, not mischievous little curse sprites. There is no such thing as a spell to defeat them. That is pure fantasy and wish fulfilment on your part. Return to the Iron Warrior Castle behind my wall and I will keep you safe. Sycorax's tone had changed and become coatingly pleasant. And Dreadlock here, your beloved teacher will teach you how to be a proper warrior, won't you, Dreadlock? And then you'll forget all about this silly magic business. Madam Dreadlock, sitting like a judgmental walrus on horseback beside Wish's older stepsisters, bowed obediently but shot Wish a look of the purest dislike. Wish was the most unsatisfactory pupil she'd ever taught, with absolutely not the foggiest idea of whether the angles of the hypotenuse added up to X or Y, and she couldn't do spelling however loudly Madame Dreadlock shouted at her. Editor's note, Wish was dyslexic. Of course, they didn't call it dyslexia back in the Bronze Age, but she was, and the teachers like Madame Dreadlock weren't very understanding about this, to say the least. Your trigonometry homework was due last Tuesday, barked Madam Dreadlock automatically, and I need the door of my punishment cupboard. The door of the children had been travelling on was originally the door to Madam Dreadlock's punishment cupboard, and it would now need rather a lot of work to return to tip-top mint condition. Returned in tip-top mint condition. 
Yes, not now, Dreadlock, said Queen Sid cracked hurriedly. I'm sure you can make allowances under the circumstances. But Wish had quite enough experience of Madame Dreadlock and her mother's iron warrior fort. She backed away from her mother. No, said Wish defiantly. Zar and I are going to show you how wizards and warriors can work together to fight the witches. Ha, ha, ha. Wish's stepsisters laughed so hard at this that they nearly fell over. Queen Sycorax's eyes hardened into stones. Now she's in for it, said Drama, Wish's sixth stepsister, with satisfaction. You, a leader, spat Queen Sycorax in a voice like an adder strike. A worm with the flu would make a better leader than you. I have met jellyfish with greater leadership potential. Look at what trouble you've already led your wicked and foolish companions into. Covered in wounds, even weaker than you normally are. And you haven't eaten for days. You have no friends and nowhere to hide. And I have only just saved you from falling into the talons of witches. You call this leadership? Wish flinched. Every single poison arrow of a word her mother said was something Wish had already been worrying was true. But Queen Sycorax hadn't finished yet. Consorting with wizards and werewolves and other lowlives, riding beasts, performing magic, I cannot believe that my own daughter is so miserably unworthy compared to my stepdaughters, said Queen Sycorax. The stepsisters giggled smugly. You, Wish, finished Queen Sycorax with a magnificent scorn, are an embarrassment and a traitor and a disgrace to your tribe. Six months ago, a speech like this would have crushed Wish. But that was before she met Zar, and Zar had given her courage, and she had found that she was no longer afraid of a mother who set fire to forests and imprisoned her beloved vegetarian giant with spears and called her horrible names. I am not an embarrassment or a traitor or a disgrace to my tribe, said Wish coldly. Release my giant, release my friends, Zar and Bodkin, my sprites, my animals, my enchanted objects, and stop the fire! Queen Sycorax stared in astonishment, but she recovered quickly. It is a great deal easier to start a fire than to stop it, said Queen Sycorax. She reached out and grabbed Wish's arm so that she could not put up her eye patch. You are coming back home, whether you like it or not, said Queen Sycorax grimly. This so-called spell isn't a proper spell. You have to understand that your best hope of survival is to be locked up safe forever. You need to face real life and grow up sharpish. And to help you do that, when I get back home, I will put your evil bandit friends in the deepest, darkest dungeon I can find, and I will melt down that ridiculous enchanted spoon of yours and turn him into hairpins. Now, Queen Sycorax probably didn't mean that, but she just lost her temper. But with that last bitterly snapped out comment, I think you can safely say that the mother and daughter negotiations pretty much broke down for the moment. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, moaned Caliburn, for with Wish's arms imprisoned so firmly by the grim hands of Queen Sycorax, there was absolutely nothing Wish could do. She couldn't reach her eye patch to use the magic eye. Zar was out like a light, Crusher was entirely incapacitated incapacitated with the sprites, and Bodkin were all tangled up in iron-clad nets. Justice was looking delightedly at the enchanted spoon, hoping that she was going to be able to melt it personally. The snowcats, wolves, and bear were too scared of any of something happening to wish all the sprites to move. Fire was now reaching the edges of the clearing and was heating up the bottoms of the warriors at the back of the crowd so fiercely that the most iron-strict of warrior training was preventing them from from leaping from their saddles, shouting, Yaroo! 
or something similar. Yes, I think you could definitely say that this was a crisis, and we're only at the end of chapter three for Mistletoe's sake, and quite a lot had happened already. What with the witch attack and the capture by warriors, it had been a very busy half an hour, what with one thing and another. You have to feel sorry for poor Caliburn in this situation. He was the oldest creature in that clearing by far, and this really wasn't good for his old bird heart. What's going to happen now, panicked Caliburn? I mean, I'm only a bird. I could peck someone, but I'm not sure it would help. Chapter 4. Exit. Rescued by a bear. Roar! Into this scene in which Queen Sycorax appeared to have regained control of the situation, apart from the fire, of course, for as Queen Sycorax said herself, fires are easier to start than they are to stop, and once started they are difficult to keep in check, there leapt a gigantic brown bear. The bear was unimaginably enormous, three times the size of a normal bear. Its ragged fur, upraised either in fury or fright, made it seem even bigger than it actually was. It leapt into the clearing, reared onto its hind legs and beat its gigantic chest with its enormous paws. On its entrance, warriors scattered in all directions in shock. Behind the bear came the thunder and shaking of colossal feet pounding into the ground like mini earthquakes, and one, two, three, four, five Thunderdale giants stormed into the clearing, followed by a little owl with spotted brown wings. Whatever Caliburn or anyone else was expecting to happen next, they weren't expecting this. Queen Sycorax was so surprised that she relaxed her iron grip on Wish's arms. Wish leapt away from Queen Sycorax and hauled up the edge of her eye patch with shaking hands. One of the many advantages of having a magic eye is that you can make things happen extremely quickly. Wish had been taught by Caliburn how to make iron things move just by looking at them. So she looked across at Crusher and then at Bodkin and Zara and the sprites and ping, 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 ping. The spears, daggers, axes and maces that were pinning the edges of Crusher's clothes and his hair to the ground rocketed into the air, releasing him. The iron nets entangling the sprites and Bodkin and Zara fell open. Then Wish looked across at the Justice, holding the enchanted spoon tight in her hands, and the spoon plunged forward with extraordinary strength towards Wish. For some strange reason, Justice's hands were now magnetically attached to it, as if by supernatural glue. Justice was dragged, still holding onto the spoon, off her horse and did a swallow dive into the mud of the forest floor with a phenomenal velocity. And boing, 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 as the enchanted spoon jumped towards its beloved wish with an attraction that was really quite touching to see. Boing, 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 Justice was dragged behind it, her nose and tummy and her entire front being slammed into the mud at each bounce. The fork jabbed into her bottom and made her let go, and the key rammed into her knuckles, and although it was rather undignified, I'm afraid I'm not a bit sorry for her. Roar! The bear continued to roar on its hind legs. The noise woke Zar, who came to, sitting upright abruptly. Bodkin had already scrambled out of the net, entangling him, and got to his feet. Roar! The bear crashed back to the ground on all four legs. Get on my back, said the bear to Wish, and as the bear slumped right down to the forest floor on its tummy so that they could climb onto it. Quick, quick, snapped the bear. We haven't got much time. Bears can't talk said Wish stupidly, because that was the first thing that came into her head. I'm not really a bear, said the bear. Of course not, said Wish. How silly of me. But I am a friend, said the bear. Now, even in a situation as grim and disastrous as this one, I'm not recommending that you climb onto the back of a bear who was a total stranger. But Caliburn swooped downward, shrieking, The bear is my sister. She's definitely my sister. I'd recognise her anywhere. Six months ago, Wish would have found this extremely disconcerting. 
but after spending some considerable time in the world of magic, the idea of Caliburn having a bear for a sister suddenly seemed reasonably normal. So, shaking with nerves, Wish hauled herself onto the back of the bear, taking hold of her long brown fur as she climbed it like a hillock. The bear generously barely even flinched, even as though Wish must have been pulling her hair, and Zara and Bodkin climbed up behind her. Hold tight, said the bear, getting to her feet. Don't forget the door, Caliburn reminded Wish. Oh, yes, quite right. We can't leave the door behind, said Wish. She turned around, lifted up her eye patch, a smidgen, and focused on the fragments of the door, lying all around the clearing in thousands of tiny little pieces, and they rose, whizzing and humming into the air, delighted that they hadn't been forgotten. There wasn't time to put all the fragments back in the right places, so they just jammed together in any old how, forming a very eccentric impression of a door. And then the bear charged straight at the most fiery part of the forest. What is the bear doing? It's going to burn us all to death, shouted Bodkin, terrified. Stay close to the bear, Sprite, said Caliburn, landing on Bodkin's shoulder and gripping so tight with his claws that Bodkin cried out. The sprites landed on the bear and the bear ran right through the flames and they did not burn. Illusions, explained the owl, crouched down on the bear's back just in front of Wish. Some of these flames are illusions. Behind the bear ran the snowcats, wolves and Zars, much smaller, more normal-sized bear, followed by the Thunderdell giants who tore up the burning trees on either side and threw them down behind them, and the flames leapt up and the warriors could not follow. Queen Sycorax was left, mouth open, unable to stop them. One second the children were there and in her power, and the next they were gone. So I think we're going to have to finish this episode here for today. Thank you so much again for listening. And I really do hope you enjoyed this. And I will see you in the next episode. Goodbye.